Professor and Daniel Webster Scholar Honors Program Director Courtney Burks joins me to discuss alternatives to attorney licensure, especially due to the impact of COVID-19. This is Inside Law Admissions, a special series of the podcast, The Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD graduate programs and online professional certificates. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. So, Courtney, this podcast is in response to a Thompson Reuters article of, on the same subject in which you were quoted. I've linked to it in the episode description if anyone wants to check it out. To start with, let's set a baseline. What are the traditional methods that attorney, attorney licensure is handled in the United States? So, essentially, at this time, there are two. So, the first and most traditional is the bar exam. So, students go to law school. Um, they take traditional courses for three years. They graduate, and then in the July following graduation, usually, they sit for the bar exam, um, which is a two-day multiple choice and essay exam. That's what most students do over the United across the United States. In um, a couple of states, there are what they call diploma privileges. So um, South Dakota has one, Wisconsin has one, and they long have had these. Um, And in those states, uh, if you go to law school there, you graduate and you're able to practice law without taking a bar exam. Since COVID and and last year when the bar exam was suspended due to COVID or moved online at a later date, a lot of states started looking at um, diploma privileges. So that's uh, that has been back uh, in the media, and that's why you, you may have heard of that more recently. So basically, diploma privilege says you've completed your three years of a JD JD program, you've graduated. That shows us that you've you've done the sufficient work to to be able to practice in said state. It usually, is it just that state that you studied in you're able to to be admitted? I haven't studied um, the specific requirements, but my understanding is, yes, it's limited to those states. And some states do have reciprocity agreements. Um, When you practice for a certain number of years, um, you can move to another state. And I I suspect that those states do have something similar where if they practice um, for a certain number of years, they can wave into another state. But I'm not I'm not certain about that. And the bar exam is a whole can of worms, ultimately, when it, when it comes down to because basically you take three years and we make it clear at the beginning, hey, afterwards, you still got to take your bar prep and then you're going to take the, the test for what other, whatever jurisdiction or shared tests that various states uh, take part in. Can you touch on that a little bit? That's correct. So um, right now, the landscape has changed a little um, with the uniform bar exam, what we call the UBE. In the last, I don't know, five plus years, um, many states, and I've lost track, but um, it's got to be close to 30, if not over, have adopted the uniform bar exam where students sit for that typically in July. Um, They take the same exam as other students sitting in other UBE states, um, and it is split into multiple choice and essays. And then at the end of the exam, after they're graded, they they receive a score and those scores can then be used in other UBE states. But for instance, a student who takes the traditional bar exam in in New Hampshire will sit for the UBE and achieve a score 
they get admitted to, to New Hampshire because they've applied specifically to New Hampshire, but they can also take that score, say to Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, uh, and seek admission there for an additional cost. And, and then there's something they call character and fitness um, clearing before you can actually be admitted. Before diving in deeper into the COVID-19 end of things and the changes people are calling for, the UNH Franklin Pierce uh, Dean Webster Scholars Honors Program has been around for a while already and as and is how our bar alternative program works. Can you dive into how that program operates? That's correct. So the program was conceived by um, Chief Justice of the New Hampshire Supreme Court, Linda Delanus, um, in the 90s originally. Um, after something called the McCrate Report was issued by the American Bar Association calling for a reform in legal education that would be more practice focused um, rather than traditional doctrinal courses sitting in a lecture hall followed by one single exam. Um, at that time in the, in the 90s, she compiled a, a group of people from the law school, um, the bar, bar examiners, and the court um, who met over a number of years and conceived of a program that was a competency-based program. Her interest in this really derived from her experience on the trial court and observation that attorneys especially new attorneys practicing by themselves, were not really equipped to practice. And it just didn't make sense to her that the bar exam was the barrier to entry. You know, a two-day exam uh, following three years of in-classes is what determines whether or not you are capable of representing a client. And so she she launched this effort, um, which spanned a number of years and in, in a number of different constituencies to conceive of a program which was competency based, um, which ultimately led to a curriculum design and ultimately approval by the Supreme Court in 2005. Um, so the program launched at then Franklin Pierce um, Law Center in 2005 um, and we will be graduating the 14th class um, in May um, and they'll be admitted to the bar the day before graduation this year May 21st and this is a program that it's it's intense I mean you're t doing a lot of hands-on uh, program simulations things like that I mean can you talk about a little bit about what these students have to go through in order to uh, graduate from this program and bypass taking this the bar? Right. So I referenced the curriculum um, before. So the, the curriculum was designed in, in collaboration with the Supreme Court, the Board of Bar Examiners, the bar, um, the law school. And it it is essentially a two-year um, intensive bar exam really, which is focused on building the skills that you need to succeed in practice. And so uh, it is largely simulation based and these simulations are, are very intense. So um, students take six specific Daniel Webster courses um, starting in the fall of their second year. And so the, the first class they take is a four credit pre-trial advocacy class where students are split into two law firms and the law firms litigate a case from the beginning to the end against one another. 
Um, and they, they really have nothing. They, they meet their client. Um, they conceive of a theory for a lawsuit. Um, the other side defends that in, through an answer. They, and they engage in discovery of documents, um, depositions with uh, actors. So the clients and all the witnesses are played by actors in the simulation. Depositions are facilitated by real court real court reporters who donate their time. Um, they file motions with the court, and ultimately they argue motions in front of federal judges. And that's that's how they finish the pretrial advocacy course. So it takes the students in the process um, from meeting with the client initially to summary judgment, which is the last stop that you take uh, on papers, essentially, before you would go to trial. That, just to give you some context, a pretrial process in a normal federal case, which is what we typically use, can take two years in a lot of cases, sometimes less, but often that long. They do this in 14 weeks. So it is a, a very intense case. And, and you know, being new to the program, I was really struck by how much they actually do that mimics practice. And then thereafter, they they take trial advocacy, uh, which in in that class, they also try the case that they worked on the first semester. They have a dispute really, dispute resolution and negotiations class, uh, which is simulation based. They have a, um, a mini series which cover, covers a number of different bar tested top, topics, business transactions, which is practical based simulation. And then they finish up with a capstone where they spend 14 weeks working on direct interactions with clients. So they, they practice client meetings, interviewing, counseling clients, and then ultimately they interview three clients at the end of the semester who are played by actors who score them in their abilities to practice law. And that's the, the last step uh, before admission. Now, this was the first program of its kind. Has this spawned any other programs in other states? We've had a lot of interest over the years and many inquiries. My predecessor, John Garvey, has been called to conferences and and um, by various different constituencies. And, and even in the last six months, year, I've talked to a number of different places and no one has been able to, to mimic what we've done. And we remain the only competency-based bar admission program. I, what I've been told is that the barrier is the, the amount of volunteers that we have in the program because each student is assigned a bar examiner. So one of the critical pieces of the program in terms of assessing competency is that the uh, bar examiners follow the students for two years and they assess a portfolio that they create. And um, that is how they determine readiness to practice is by the bar examiner reviewing the portfolio. Um, and then you have the actors and the court reporters and the judges and, and everybody else who, who jumps in to make this possible. And that's what can't be replicated. Takes a village with this program, that's for sure. 
to speaking yes. to the IT side of the house and the academic technology side of the house, I mean, there's an extensive amount of back end that needs to be put together to make something like this happen, which kind of, to me, makes this as not a great COVID solution for other states, especially with everyone That's locked right. down. So added reason for people to come to UNH Franklin Pierce to so give that a little plug there. Um, but I mean, how are you seeing other states because this because our program stands out is just it's really intensive how are other states around covid working around this i mean it's it's harder to take the bar exam uh, bar alternative programs aren't necessarily a viable solution at this point in the game at least it's going to take years before they'd be able to even develop an ecosystem to make something like that happen what do they do COVID did start this national discussion and a few states allowed students to have a emergency diploma privilege. So Utah, for example, did that. And so they, and then I think it really caused this discussion of, well, why is the bar exam the thing that we use to measure practice? Um, I think the discussion also dovetailed with a lot of discussions um, facing institutions nationally about whether the bar exam is biased in any way. Um, there is data that suggests that it is and that it's a barrier to entry for people um, with economic or racial um, backgrounds. Um, and that this, if you look at a comp competency-based model that would potentially eliminate that, and so that's where the discussion has really is now is uh, it doesn't make sense to do it in a different way um, because we had to figure things out during COVID and are seeing that they have worked. What's the future of attorney licensure long term, do you think? I mean, there is still going to be that need for state-specific rules. You can't just jump from New Hampshire to New York City and necessarily understand the specifics and how that jurisdiction is going to operate. How do you think um, jurisdictions are going to have to work around this? So as far as the state-specific piece uh, goes, um, different states already do things um, because of the uniform bar exams. So, for instance, the New York uh, bar has something called the New York law exam that students take the UBE, but they also have to take the New York law exam, which is it's a several-hour exam that's administered online before they're admitted to the bar, they have to pass that. Um, and New Hampshire, actually, it's not before admission, but it's within two years after admission, you have to take a practical skills course as a new admittee, which is a full day course um, run by the Bar Association to make, make sure the students, um, not students, attorneys coming in from other states understand New Hampshire practice and procedure, and then and then they leave with a whole set of materials from that. So a lot of states do that or will do that uh, in order to remedy that situation, I imagine. Is there anything else you want to touch on this? Well, so I would say that um, on the piece you asked before about diploma privilege, to the extent that's, that states do ultimately start having re reciprocity um, for diploma privilege, I suspect that there will be a practice requirement, meaning that attorneys who want to wave into another state have to practice for a certain number of years in their own state. 
in order to become admitted in the state to gain reciprocity so that you're you're you have a, a certain level of uh, comfort that the attorney who wants to wave into your state has achieved competency in their home state. The other thing that I would say is there are some states increasingly, and California is an example, that will allow attorneys to come in from other states to do things like public interest practice for a certain number of years. So, you know, when an attorney from New Hampshire, one of our graduates from, you know, the Daniel Webster program, for instance, gains New Hampshire admission, but gets a job at a public interest organization in California that qualifies under their rule, can go and practice in California at that public interest organization for a certain amount of time under a special rule. Part of that is to maintain access to justice uh, in part. But you are starting to see more things like that develop all over the country. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.